It's time for the only show where today's top mid-revenue cycle leaders share the personal stories, struggles, and successes that you won't hear on the big stage, but made them who they are today. Are you ready to go off the record? Here's your host, Brian Murphy. All right, welcome to another episode of the Off the Record Podcast. Um, I've kind of alluded to this on some past shows. As the podcast progresses, this is our this is, I believe, episode 14. Um, I want to change some things up. You know, I want to experiment with um, some different lengths, different non-traditional guests. Uh, I've I've loved all the guests that I've had, and we've had some great stories. Just want to keep things fresh. And um the 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 dude I have on today, I think, is a fresh, non-traditional guest. I think he's fresh. He's he, <laughs> <laughs> he's a little bit he's he's fresh in many ways but he's he's an awesome guy uh you probably have known him if you've ever been to an actus conference and a hema conference or frankly i think almost any mid-revenue cycle <laughs> conference across the country he maintains a very busy travel schedule uh i want to welcome to the show uh my norwood colleague mike barringer um you know mike i'll let you introduce yourself in a minute but Mike knows the hospital mid-rev cycle very well, uh, having served it for more than 17 years with the likes of med partners. I think that's where I got to know you first, Mike, uh, at the Actus Conference. You might have been wearing some James Bond villain costume. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have been uh, Dr. Evil at one point, so. <laughs> forecasting the bald head to yet to come. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I miss those days. Those are some fun days. But we're having we're having some pretty fun days here now, for sure. Um, and today, Mike, for those that don't know him again, he serves as the senior vice president of strategic partnerships at Norwood. And I want to welcome him to the show. Welcome to Off the Record, Mike. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Gosh, you know, I always like to start by giving us, giving our listeners some context just about who you are and and, and your role um, at Norwood. So maybe you could kind of set the stage for us there. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, as Brian mentioned, I'm the Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships. So ultimately, uh, I run um, all of our client engagement that we have here at Norwood, whether that's... Um, looking for new clients, um, overseeing the uh, the client development team, and uh, making sure that all of the partnerships we have with the clients who choose to participate um, with Norwood uh, to make sure all goes well and we uh, serve the needs of the clients with what they need and how we can help make their uh, mid-revenue cycle jobs a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, I, I th I'll have to go back and re-listen to the tape. Mike, but I don't think I heard you use the word uh, sales in there at all. And, you know, that's that's something I really I want to dig into a bit here because, um, you know, you, you've got an important job here with us, but um, very successful in what you do. I, I I think it's due to just who you are, you know, very open, easy demeanor, likes to use humor. If you've never hung around, Mike, you're, you're going to get a few zingers thrown at you. I've had a few leveled at me, probably deserved. <laughs> but you know it's <laughs> i think it's you know and you you touched on this on linkedin on a recent post which which prompted me this question you know you 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 view deals with hospitals and healthcare organizations as a partnership and 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 not a sales transaction um could you talk a little bit about your approach to to what you do and and this and this thought of partnering with with organizations as opposed to you know, the, the heavy sales pitch. Yeah, sure. Um, 
I, I kind of view sales as a as a transaction. Um, people go and seek out a salesperson for a number of things that they're looking to buy. And often you walk away with some mm -hmm. sort of product and then never really deal with that person again until you need to buy something like that again. And that's not at all what we do. Uh, the partnership is, is important because ultimately I think that uh, hospital administrators and, and all of the people in mid-rev cycle that occupy these, these roles for coding and CDI at supervisor, manager, director, vice president level, all have marching orders and all have different pressures that accompany the job to push and pull them in various directions to get things done and deadlines. And when they find themselves short-staffed in some capacity because the, the available talent in the country right now is at an all-time premium to, to get anybody to, to be available, um, mm -hmm. it's important that the, the vendor that they choose to work with views this relationship as a partnership because there is give and take on both sides. Um, this has to work for both parties. It can't be one-sided or beneficial to just one of us because then it mm -hmm. doesn't really work. And it's not it's not a long sustained relationship that you ultimately have with each other if you're not alleviating some of those headaches, coming up with solutions to, to problems before they arise, um, anticipating changes in the industry and changes in the staffing models as to what makes these things uh, go the way they do. And um, if you view it as a partnership, then you almost feel like you have a stake in, in the outcome as to how it, how it goes and try to help make sure that it has the most positive outcome for both, both entities. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that approach. And you know, the partnership interests me because I think at Norwood, we're, we're, we're obligated to help grow the talent pool here. Like we need, and, not, and when I say we, I mean, hospitals and healthcare organizations need CDI and coding professionals that, that are good. They're seasoned, have done the job, love what they do, want to make a career out of it. And there's just not enough right now. Um, no, there's definitely not. Um, so I think it, it becomes a responsibility of both the uh, the vendors that occupy the space as well as the hospitals to uh, try and help cultivate new resources. There's um, there's a large portion of the industry that retires on an annual basis, and that yeah. percentage of retirement is definitely not coming back up in the ranks of the new blood um, as far as what's next. This This industry doesn't get a lot of notoriety for people who say, yeah, this is something that I want to get into. And it's my lifelong dream to go be a coder or, or a CDI professional. It takes uh, kind of almost a spotlight being shown upon it to be able to give it the recognition it deserves to get people interested in it. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things I'm hoping to do with this show is to encourage people to consider these professions as a career. You know, I, I think they're wonderful. I've, I've heard I lost track hundreds, maybe thousands of stories of, of, you know, nurses, for example, who were just burned out at the bedside, who, you know, were getting a little bit older and couldn't handle the, 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 the physical aspect of the job, or were just tired of working, you know, 12 hour shifts and CDI became a lifeline. And they discovered when they got into it, they loved it. Um, same, same with HIM people that have really found their way here. And um, that's what I'm hoping to do. And I, 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 I view us, Mike, as an integral partner in all this. I, I know that sounds a little cheesy, but it's, it's true. Like we're, we're all in this together. Like we, we need hospitals need these professions. We need to help grow these, this profession. And, and I guess that's why I love your, your partnership angle. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I couldn't agree more, Brian. I think um, with especially where we're heading uh, with with seemingly at an all time high with the rate of denials that that are coming, uh, the documentation is is of utmost importance, probably more so now than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that accurate documentation is ultimately what's going to be needed to fall back on being able to make effective denials and the likelihood of the successful overturning of a denial. So it's yep. it's super important. Yeah, it's a wild time for denials. I've been doing a lot of writing about that, about Medicare Advantage, and and um, yeah, you got to you got you got to get it in there to bulletproof your medical records, and these jobs are are just critical for hospital quality and for reimbursement. But um, yeah, you know, one of the other reasons why I want to get the show, Mike, among among many, um, we're talking about careers, and I'm of the opinion. Uh, I don't want to use the word sales, but you know, there, there. I, I think there is a lot of opportunity. If, if you're out there listening to the show, you're a CDI professional, you're a medical coding professional, you're in case management, and you're looking for a change in your career. Um, this can, like, like, can, can you imagine, Mike, like pairing someone with that level of institutional knowledge, who maybe has the right personality, and and pairing that up and moving into um, a sales role, a, a, a partnership role, working for someone in, in the in the industry. I th I think there is a lot of opportunity for folks to do this, and we we occasionally advertise these positions. There's a lot of others out there. Um, it, the opportunity is there, but I'm wondering, someone listening who might be thinking about getting into a role such as yours, or you know, uh, you know, you're 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 pretty high up as a as a senior VP here, but just moving into sales, what, what advice would you have? Uh, what makes someone succeed and, and maybe what makes them fail as well? Yeah. Um, it's funny. We, we actually, uh, we, we get this quite a bit where um, people who are actively either coding or CDI professionals or case management, um, you know, we reach out to them from time to time to talk to them about these types of positions, the types of positions that, that prior to being a, a senior vice president that I was doing directly and Kim Raymond does actively and Celeste Austin and John Kiwanuka do currently for us. And, and I think the part that they initially let their brain go to is, I don't think I'm cut out for sales. And I think if we go back to the beginning of this, uh, this podcast, where it's not really a sale, you're really just sharing your information about what you've seen in the industry. And if you've been a contractor who's been to multiple sites and you've been in multiple environments, you've seen a lot of the right ways to do it, but more importantly, you've seen a lot of the wrong ways to do it. Um, what makes the departments work well? What makes them not work well? What management styles work better than others to get the most effectiveness out of the people? Are you treating your contractors like your actual staff and making them feel welcome? Or do you make them feel like a stepchild that maybe you can't wait to get rid of? Um, all of those things make a big difference. And people who are in the industry who are the experts at the actual work, you have this inherent built-in credibility with the audience mm -hmm. that you're calling. So I would say the things that would make you successful besides your, your industry know-how with the job and the inner workings of what it takes to be a successful CDI or coder or case manager is you have to be unafraid about just reaching out to people you don't know and talking to them and just asking what's the makeup of your department what are the deficiencies you're facing what are the initiatives you have that you might need some extra help with and then just offering solutions on how to fix those things or add to it or enhance um it's not a sale it's um it's really just a conversation about 
what's the makeup of your department? And is there anything that we as an organization do that could help facilitate some, some of the solutions to some of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that make people fail in this is ultimately the flip side of that is, is the anxiety that comes along with talking to people who are interrupting their day, who aren't expecting your call or uh, asking them to do something and make them make a decision on something that may, they may not be ready to do or don't have the funds or the budgeting to do. Um, and having, you know, what sometimes might be an uncomfortable conversation. Um, those are the things that ultimately people fear in this in this type of job. But a lot of it is the uh, just the anxiety that you place upon yourself and the limitations that you think exist, as opposed to it's just like going to a conference and introducing yourself to somebody you didn't know who's in the same space, who does the same type of job, who understands the work, and just having a conversation about, okay, what works, what doesn't, here's what we do, is any of that beneficial to you? Yeah. How do you lower that anxiety, Mike? You don't seem to have it. I could be mistaken. I'm sure maybe you feel it in, internally, but I, I know I do. Um, it's just part of who I am. I, I have, I'm always like, is this person even going to want me to, to to take a call when I reach out to a guest? You know, I've, I've known most of my guests. I haven't known some of them. And I, I still feel that like, who, who am I to get them, ask them to be on a show, ask me on a program, but um. Any tips, tricks of the trade that you've learned to sort of reduce that level and maybe work a room like I've seen you do it at a conference? <laughs> um, I don't really think of it as uh, as as work, really. I mean, as far as the, um, yeah, I understand that when I call somebody for the first time out of the blue, they're likely not sitting at their desk just waiting for the phone no. to talk to somebody <laughs> they haven't heard from or met before and know why they're calling. So I'm interrupting your day. I get that. I try to be really respectful of of the time. Um, and, and make sure that they understand that I know the busy schedules that they endure um, so that I'm not trying to go into a lengthy uh, dissertation about what we do on this particular phone call. This call is just to say, this is what we do. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your department, your role, what some of the challenges are. When can we schedule time to do that? Because I know you weren't ready for this call right now. Mm-hmm. And um, it, It's really, I think, just a matter of I think of myself as a facilitator and I like to just make introductions to people and network with people. Um, I I won't ever consider myself an expert in this because there's always more to learn. Um, And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I I think that the more you can network with people who have been doing this in different places and different departments or different lengths of time, there's always something you can pick up from that. So hopefully the people that I ultimately speak to on the phone and that we speak to on the phone or through emails um, view it that way, that that we're looking to network with other like-minded industry professionals to see how we can help each other better the industry, be a better steward to it moving forward. And um, so I, I don't really think of the, the nervousness as far as if somebody hangs up on me, I, I came up with this thing a long time ago. Somebody said uh, the most challenging or anxious thing about making a phone call or, or a cold call is what if somebody hangs up on you? And and I came up with this thing a long time ago. I heard it from somebody. I can't remember who. This is forever ago. That if somebody doesn't hang up, the phone call never ends. 
right? So you'd be on the same <laughs> phone call for eternity. Somebody has to hang up. So whether or not it all hang, gets hung up on, I'm expecting it to be hung up on. Now, I, yeah. I would like to say goodbye first, <laughs> but uh, say, if that doesn't happen, the, it is what it is. It, it ended the call. Some of the hangups will be a little harsher than others. <laughs> they can be. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get the opportunity to slam it down anymore. Those those don't exist much anymore. It's usually a button, so it's a much softer slam. Right. Yeah, the days, <laughs> days of the rotary phones are, are long over. Yes. But we, we, we remember them. For sure. <laughs> you know, Mike, I'm, I'm, I want to change gears a little bit here. Um you know, we're we're going to get into a topic that I know is um, near and dear to your heart, and and I know a lot of folks might not know about. In fact, I did not know about this until I joined Norwood. Um, not that you haven't been open about it, um, you know, on social media and LinkedIn. If you're not following Mike on LinkedIn, you should. He posts a lot of great content out there. But uh, I saw it, Mike, for the first time. Um, one of your early posts after I joined Norwood was um, you you posted a picture of of your son and um, with the acronym WWND. What what would Nick do? And you know, just to give you some. I'm going to let you talk about this, Mike. Um, but for our listeners, Mike's life was changed. I mean, irrevocably, the, the, and with the with the worst nightmare a parent could ever face, which is um, the death of a child and your, your, your son passed away far too young age, tragically, um, was hoping you could, you know, share the story and, um, what, what, what actually happened here? Can you, you know, I don't want to, I'll just, I'll, I'll just give you the floor. Yeah. Um, our son, Nick was, uh, 21. So this occurred July 2nd, 2016. This was over uh, a 4th of July weekend. Um, he was uh, supposed to meet us at, at our house. We had a house in, in Bradenton at the time, but that was more like the uh, the escape house. We, we lived uh, just outside of Tampa. And um, so we went to the Bradenton house for the weekend. He was supposed to meet up with us on a Saturday morning. And um, we sent him some messages earlier in the morning, just asking what time he might be coming. And the messages on iPhones get delivered a certain way. They, they turn blue, they say delivered. It's got yep. a whole thing. And the messages to him were showing up as green, which would normally indicate either the phone was off or um, uh, he wasn't on a, a network at the time. And um, those came kind of shockingly just in a weird way. Uh, we tried to call him a couple of times, phone went straight to voicemail. And um, so it was unlike him uh, to, to have that. And, um, so we, we kind of had a couple of just red flags going on and, and we reached out to a couple of people. we started to look at social media to see if there were any posts. And he was at a, a party the night before for a, a 21st birthday of a friend of his. Um, and, you know, so we tracked down that friend. They told us he, he left their house at like 10 o'clock at night or something like that. Um, and he was supposed to be going back to his house in St. Petersburg. So uh, and then we talked to another friend of his who said that he contacted them after he left that party and was going to come to their house first before he went home. But he he didn't come there. And that started to kind of get us all, all concerned about things. So uh, we went to his house in St. Pete to see if maybe he had just slept in and it was apparent that he had not been there for the night at all. Um, so we started to kind of freak out a bit and started tracking down everybody we could think of that might know him. and. Um, you know, nobody really had any information. Um, so it was over 4th of July weekend. So everything was closed. 
Um, so it was really difficult to get any kind of measurable information from, from anybody. Um, you, um, you're not allowed to get the cell phone company to give you ping information without a court order or, or a warrant. Um, mm -hmm. And because he's 21, 21 year olds are considered an adult and adults are allowed to be missing if they want to be. Um, so there really wasn't a lot of cooperation. So we started forming this party of like, I don't know, 10 cars worth of people to drive every possible path that he could have taken from the house the party was at to where his friend's house was that he didn't get to, that house the party was at to our house, either house, the party house to his house, um, and just started to look for, I don't know, what we were hoping to find, just grass that looked like tires went over it, bushes out of place. We looked for houses that might have had video cameras that might have caught a glimpse so we know if he passed this, we don't have to look backwards. That basically went on for 30 hours. Oh my gosh. Um, and so, you know, we put out posts, we weren't sure. And, and at some point I, I think I was in the car with a, a former coworker and friend of ours from, from med. And, um, you know, I just asked him to bring me back home because I wasn't sure what am I hoping to find at this point? I, we're either going to run in the situation where we don't find him at all. We find his car and he's not in it, or we find his car and worse, he is in it. And that's the last image I got to see. Um, and I wasn't sure which outcome would be the best one to even hope for. So we went back to our house. A few hours before that, I had called a friend of mine who was a lieutenant with the Hillsborough County uh, Sheriff's Department and the division he happens to oversee was um, Homicide and Adult Missing Persons Division. And he had made a call to Verizon and I guess told them whatever they wanted to hear to lead them to believe that they were able to give him the ping information from the, the cell tower. So he had gotten a ping, I guess, and looked in a certain area where there was this really notoriously uh, bad, dark curve of a road. And uh, he got out of his car and went in there and uh, a sheriff came to our house to tell us that they uh, that they found his car and, and he was in it. And uh, it looked like that he had missed the curve hmm. entirely and drove up um, an embankment behind a line of trees and, and hit a tree and... and uh, because he ended up upside down, the uh, seatbelt uh, was across his windpipe and he may have been unconscious and um, it mm. caused him to uh, la lack of consciousness, lack of air. So in just a few minutes, um, he passed away. And, um, you know, I think for us, the hardest part about this, obviously, besides just, you know, the sheer terror of losing a child um, was not being able to see him one more time because he was in Florida in July. Um, it's really hot and being outside for that period of time does things to the composition of what you look like and they didn't want us to see. So we basically, we identified him through a, a tattoo on his arm was all we were able to see, um, but we couldn't touch him one more time, hug him one more time. And it was, mm -hmm. it was really devastating um, time to, to go through. And obviously it's, it'll be with us forever. Yeah. But the WWND thing you asked about, um, we were sitting in the kitchen a couple of weeks afterwards with uh, some friends of his, and we were just kind of sharing stories and talking about how he always wanted to make everybody be happy and, and see the best in people. And we came up with this thing that what would Nick do would be this mantra that we wanted to live by that when we had those crappy days where you just didn't want to face life or couldn't think about creating a new memory that he wasn't involved in. 
that he would be mad at us if we let our life came to a, come to a standstill because he wasn't physically here to participate in it. So we got tattoos on our wrist, like down low enough where even with a long sleeve shirt, it would be virtually impossible to cover up so that you could look down and just be reminded that Nick wanted better. Nick wanted you to have a good day. Nick wanted you to be happy and, and reach out to people and make a difference in people's lives. And I thought I was good at, you know, doing that and reaching out to people before, but I, I definitely wanted to kick it up to a different level um, in Nick's honor to, to make sure that he would be proud of how we uh, continued to do life and, and try and impact other people and not let people slip into these uh, routines and things that mm -hmm. drop to just have, you know, crappy days and not, not be able to move forward. Yeah. Mike, I'm, I, I don't know. You know, I'm very sorry to hear that. That's that's just um, I hadn't heard the full story till now. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's weird when you go to when you go to conferences and you meet people, right? You people ask questions, right? When you first meet somebody, you know, tell me about your life. Do you have any kids and that kind of thing? And I've always, since that day, I have to wrestle with how to answer the question mm -hmm. uh, because you could try and get away with it. You have two, and if they don't ask any more questions, you're good, right? If they ask, you know, how old are they? Then you got to figure out how you want to navigate that. And yeah. A lot of it gets determined by whether or not I feel like it's likely we're going to speak to each other again, because I don't want to feel like I was dishonest, but I also don't want to take somebody that I just met and in five minutes, make you feel sad for the rest of the day that you even brought it up. So, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's always a little tricky uh, to tactfully figure out ways to, to have those conversations, but I, I don't mind at all talking about, it. and that's also part of the reason why I put the tattoo where I did because people ask. Yeah. You know, and, um, it's obviously this is going to shape the rest of your life and it has. And um, I think what you're doing is, you know, I, I had a, a former call actus colleague, Penny Richards, whose daughter passed away in a motorcycle accident, you know, when she was around the same age as Nick, I, I think she was in her early to mid twenties, Mike, and um, changed Penny's life forever. And, and Penny started, a you know, a, a scholarship in her daughter's honor but at the same thing got got the name tattooed on her and it became part of her identity but it was something you know you can imagine just talking about it although with on programs like this and in conversations and conferences must be painful but at the same time you're you're keeping his memory memory alive for sure and, and sharing who he was with uh, people that otherwise would not have known him so i'm yeah, I don't mind talking about them at all. Yeah, I'm glad you can share a little bit of that with our audience today. And, and you know, and anything you would say, Mike, to someone who's listening who maybe has suffered a similar loss or we, we're all going to suffer losses in our life. But um, you, you, you seem very open to talking to folks about this and maybe helping others that have suffered a similar a tragedy. Yeah, um, I, I will say um, that... Um, if you're able to find somebody who has been through a similar situation before, try and seek somebody who, who understands. Um, ultimately, and especially if you're a married couple, there's so many stats out there. And I, I mean, I, I don't really buy into a lot of the stats that people come up with. You can make those stats look however you want. But the scary statistic is that... Um, they say that married couples that go through the loss of a child, um, 60 something percent of those married couples end up not remaining together yep. 
afterwards because of the devastation it, it has on it. And I will say from, from our perspective, my wife and myself, um, what the biggest challenge is, you don't grieve the same way necessarily as each other, you know, and, and men and women oftentimes grieve differently. Um, and, and what happens is one of you starts to think that the other one doesn't care as much because you're not grieving at the same time or not seemingly at the same level. And it's not that it's just, I think, um, you know, and right or wrong, uh, oftentimes the men in the relationship have been grown and, and kind of trained by society to, to quote, be the strong ones, which is you go through something like this and you realize how, how not strong you are, um, and, and have very little control over things, but, um, you still almost feel the responsibility to have to protect your wife. And if you have a, another child, which we have a 19 year old daughter who was 13 at the time this took place um, to, to if they seem like they're okay at, at a moment and you want to break down at that moment that you can, and it's okay. But then in, inside you feel like, well, I just broke down on a day that they seem like they're doing okay. And now they cry because I cried in front of them. They may want that from you, um, but you're protecting them from it because you don't think that now you, you think you're going to be responsible for ruining their day. And it's not that. Um, so it's so it's OK to be vulnerable. It's OK to express your emotions. It's OK to not be OK about it because there's nothing OK about it. Um, but, you know, now that this has gone on and my wife and I, you know, have gotten a lot closer because of what took place um, and maybe in spite of what took place, we feel responsible to find other parents who have gone through this unimaginable um, event and, and try to help them navigate what their life together is going to be like past this and try to help people navigate through um, the challenges that they're going to have. Cause it's, it's, it's going to happen and it's natural and it's normal, but it's um, people don't know what to say to you. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody starts to tell you things like, you know, everything happens for a reason, horrible thing to say to somebody that goes through this. Um, God had a plan, probably not the best recruiting message for getting people to be more, you know, God friendly. Um, it's sometimes okay to just not know what to say, but yeah. for people who want to be a support structure for people who have gone through this, don't tell those people that like, I'm here if you need me, they need you, they just don't know how to ask you. So just volunteer, yeah. and just be there for them for whatever you can and, and just try to be as as normal about it as you can. You're not causing us anxiety by talking about our son. It actually makes it worse if you try to avoid the subject entirely. Right, right. Well, that's good advice. That's great advice, actually. And and um, it's too easy to say, yeah, I'm here if you need me. And yeah, always needed. For sure. So I'm, I will remember uh, WWND. Yeah, it's, it's, um, there's nothing else I could say. It's it's a it's a catastrophic loss, Mike. But you have bounced back with something that um, I find admirable. You know, you're you're you have made an amazing life after this, and you're you know you're, you're you've hung on, and you've done more than that. You've you've flourished, and you continue to to honor his legacy and his memory. And I think there's a lot we can take from that. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah, this is probably a good point to wrap up the show here um you know i i, I will just add 
you know, I, I do recommend following Mike, you know, there's this, in addition to, to heavy, you know, some heavy stuff he posts on LinkedIn, but a lot of fun and interesting things too. He's got a farm. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that's so that coming, but yeah. You get some farm animal videos on there. Uh, we, that's probably a whole other show, but. Um, yeah. Just like the Long Island, yeah, the guy who grew up on Long Island, New York was intended to live on a farm. So you never know what it's going to bring you. No. And it's brought you to Long Island, to, to Florida, and, and other places besides. Do you say you had like 30 moves? And you, did, did I hear you say this? Yeah, yeah, we've moved about 30 plus times or so. I mean, and not, not all of it was necessarily to different states. A, a lot of it was within the same state, just different places. But uh, yeah, I, I really blame the uh, the home improvement shows and flip or flop and, you know, all these real estate shows. that you're on. <laughs> There's always something that comes out that makes your wife go, hey, did you see this property? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. But we live somewhere. But, you know, it's. I, I, I less, I'm much less concerned about me and my living circumstances than, than what makes the family happy. I'm pretty adaptable to most. Yeah. So Mike, follow Mike Berenger on LinkedIn. Mike's, Mike's a one of a kind dude, as you've, as you've heard today, and um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be working with him. So, all right, we'll let you go folks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of off the record. If you, again, if you, if you do like the show, please give us a rating five star, preferably tell your friends and, uh, yeah, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, Mike. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in to Off the Record. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. We'll catch you in the next episode.